it literally used to take us up to 30 hours for um, them to set up the environments, get their test cases ready to run before they could actually start running them. And through this set of automation, we were able to cut that entire process down to three hours, and then they were able to start testing. Welcome to OWASP 24-7, sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from Sonatype, a trusted partner for open source governance, management, and compliance. This is your host, Mark Miller. At the IBM DevOps Symposium, I watched as Debbie Edwards enthralled the audience as she explained how IBM has initiated DevOps and Agile through the development cycle. In some cases, the results are nearly unbelievable, such as reducing overall time to development from 120 days down to three days. I wanted to hear more about how she could create such startling results, so I gave her a call. I was at the IBM DevOps Symposium with you in New Jersey last month, and you had a remarkable chart that you brought up that talked about the product and the process improvements at IBM. Can you talk about that a little bit? First of all, Mark, great to talk to you about this. It's It's been an exciting journey for my team and I as we have focused on adopting agile and DevOps practices across our team. Um, as I talked about at the symposium, you know, we've taken a approach that is very much focused on continuous improvement and continuous improvement across the entire life cycle. Um, you know, one of the things we learned through doing agile development is that if we break down silos between development and test, we could move faster. However, we also recognize that for us to really get the right capabilities to market faster, we really had to break down silos across even a larger organization. So sort of extending those agile practices into interactions with our business stakeholders, as well as with our operations teams and our clients to really, I guess, you know, eliminate the, you know, any latency uh, in the entire end-to-end process. And we took a very iterative and agile approach to that and very much a learning approach, um, you know, made improvements over a longer period of time. One of the other things about the improvements that we learned and have focused on is that those improvements really need to cover three major areas. Improvements to achieve this level of uh, efficiency have to address not only your process or what we call our ways of working, how the team works together and collaborates, but it also has to co- cover and address cultural changes and requirement um, you know, differences and how the team interacts with each other, the measurement systems, everything about the, the team itself, the dynamics, even sometimes locations of teams and how they're being required to work together. And then you also have to have tools in place that really make doing the right thing easy and really promote the new ways of working and the cultural changes that you want to happen. So as a result of sort of following that process, we were able to achieve some pretty significant improvements in our process. The top part of the slide of product and process improvements really focuses on that upfront collaboration I was talking about between our development organization and our product management organization. We had a lot of inefficiency 
ways in terms of how we were making our business process, excuse me, our business decisions. It took us a long time to look at what was going on in the market. You know, we would typically do that in sort of a, a one or two big bang approaches at, you know, at different points in the year. And then we would have to take all of that input on board. In, on board, we'd have to prioritize it against all the other things that we had that we were thinking about doing, and and we would sort of, in a way, start from scratch every time we would do that because we would allow ourselves to get out of sync. What we really focused on as a part of this transformation was really strengthening the collaboration and understanding of what our business priorities were between our development leaders and our technical leaders. And our and understanding and writing down and being very transparent of, on what our priorities were and the percentage of of our investment stream that we wanted to allocate to each one of our strategic investment areas. And we pretty much stuck to that. Then we worked together on creating a groom backlog and a groom backlog has multiple different aspects of it. So that that groomed backlog needed the the user stories that were on that backlog needed to tie to those investment priorities and allocations of resources, but it also needed work and effort from our development team to size these items. And we started a process where we would do exploration sprints to help us with some of the larger line items. And this really helped us to have a more specific groom backlog and a more predictable delivery schedule. The other thing that we've been able to do is now link um, these strategic initiatives with the items on our groom backlog that then become a part of our actual release plans. And we have complete traceability now from our strategic initiatives to our user stories and the work that the development team is doing. And with this groom backlog, we can make better decisions faster at the end of each one of our sprints if the capabilities that um, if something is, comes in that is more important to our business, then we can redirect the efforts of the development team um, because we can now make that trade off much more quickly than we could in the past. So that's really around, you know, making business decisions and getting that into the hands of our developers faster. I'm sure that you could see the value in being able to make those kind of decisions on a more ongoing basis. Oh, definitely, definitely. The thing that stuck in my mind while you were talking at the conference, too, is that you were very adamant that you must align your business objectives with your DevOps. Absolutely. You know what? I always um, say and firmly believe that if it's not important to the business, it's just not important. If it's not tied to a strategic initiative or an important initiative tied to a business outcome, then it will not get the attention or the investment or the prioritization that's really needed for something like this to be taken seriously. So, you know, we, as a part of this project, had set, you know, some uh, aggressive goals for ourselves. We recognized through our collaboration with our business stakeholders that uh, delivery cadence of once per year was just not keeping up with what was happening in the market. So it became a business imperative for us to reduce our time to delivery. And that really is a part of what drove the second part of this slide, which is really honing on, in on the inefficiencies in our development process. So we needed to move from this 12-month delivery cycle down to a three-month delivery cycle. And we went through a ton of work in terms of analyzing our um, our process, looking at value stream analysis, where were we waiting either in our test organization, in our development organization, you know, for work to be completed and therefore driving us to be less efficient. 
From a business objective, when I think of business, I think finance. How did you develop financial metrics to measure the efficiencies of DevOps? Well, you know, we we have a couple of different ways that we measure our efficiencies. So first of all, you know, we are we focus obviously on the the revenue growth of our business and growing our products increasing client adoption um, and, and customer satisfaction, which are what I would say overall financial metrics. You know, and obviously those tie to the fact, are we delivering the right thing to market? Are we delivering a product that's high quality that customers not only buy but use and use it on a broader scale and adopt more of it? And do our clients like what we're doing? So, you know, from a customer satisfaction point of view. So that really, that really speaks to, you know, the success of our business. One of the other metrics that I'm held accountable for is really how much of my team am I spending on delivering new capability versus keeping the lights on on maintenance activities. And the reason that's important is because when we deliver these quarterly deliverables, if all we're doing is fixing problems and we're not adding new capability, you know, there's not much of a point. (laughs) You know, we got to be delivering new things. So we had to shift. One of our specific goals was to spend much less on maintenance as we went through this whole process and gain these efficiencies um, than we used to. And, and then uh, therefore allowing us to build cool new things that were solving our clients' problems. And so that ratio, innovation, uh, investment to maintenance is another one of our key metrics. When you're talking about your conversations with developers now, and you've got these huge improvements here in your process. How did your developer tool chain have to change in order to get that to work? Well, one of the neat things about us and Rational is that we have an opportunity to use our tools to build our tools. So part of one of our other goals of this whole process was to understand more about that, right? Is that as we needed to move faster, what was, let's say, lacking in our tools or missing in our tools that, you know, helped, uh, you know, that prevented us from being able to move more quickly. And there were tool changes that need to be made, but there were also, as I mentioned before, process and cultural changes that needed to be made. So first of all, I can talk a little bit more about tool changes. One of our, our big focus areas that we recognized that we needed was better reporting capabilities. We really needed complete transparency across the entire development, actually the entire DevOps cycle, all the way from you know, the collaboration and business discussions that we were having, you know, to our requirements, to our development um, work, to our build work, and to our deployment work. So as a result of that, we made a lot of investments within Rationals and, excuse me, within Rational and made that capability available to our clients in the areas of reporting. Um, And that was uh, a, a very important aspect of that. We also recognized the importance of release automation and deployment automation as a part of the process. And, and therefore, you know, we adopted our own tools in that particular area in terms of creating infrastructure as code and creating these patterns, which we use across our development and test processes, you know, to have a consistent environment. And as a result of that, we made lots of improvements to our tools to do that, um, our quality management tools in terms of capturing those results, um, as well as an incremental improvements to our uh, release automation and um, deployment automation tools. So lots of, um, of tool improvements that we made through our, our, own ex- our own experience. And then in terms of process, we had to make a ton 
of, um, of improvements to our process, everything around, you know, our definition of done, making sure that it took into account, you know, many of what had traditionally been very back-end loaded processes, things like our translation support, our security validation, testing, all those things had to be shifted to the left in, in terms of our, um, in terms of our ways of working and our process. Um, we also, um, had to focus, uh, quite a bit on automation. So we had, we have tools that support automation today, but we had to continue to improve those in the area of web UI automation. Um, and we use a Selenium framework and have developed that to help us. But we also had to change our ways of working in terms of making sure that the automation um, was being built at the same time that the capability was being built. Mm-hmm. Those were some really key areas for us that have really given us that ability to work more efficiently and move faster while maintaining the quality and improving the quality that we needed to be able to grow our business. One of the things that you mentioned uh, just now, too, is the moving left. When you're talking about moving left earlier into the development cycle, how far in general have you guys been able to move to start making the changes you're making? Well, one, one of the challenges we had um, when we started on this journey is that, you know, our development team and our functional verification teams worked pretty well together you know, we were able to keep those teams pretty much in sync. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the developers would write code, they would build some developer automation, and then the, the, the functional test would be pretty close in line with that. However, the, we had a significant challenge with our system verification testing, which is basically our larger customer scenario testing. Sometimes it would actually not be able to be completed until the sprint afterwards. You know, that is not acceptable when you need to be able to deliver Mm -hmm. as rapidly. You've really got to be validating, you know, really those integration scenarios from the very beginning. So what we did is we applied a lot of this automation approach of creating these patterns that defined our customer scenario testing. And we automated the deployment of those environments. And it literally used to take us up to 30 hours for um, them to set up the environments, get their test cases ready to run before they could actually start running them. And through this set of automation, we were able to cut that entire process down to three hours, and then they were able to start testing. So as a result of that, as a result of some of the other improvements we made around getting stability earlier in the product, we're now able to do customer scenario testing right alongside the development and the functional verification testing. And that has been extremely powerful for us. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Another, uh, just one other comment I would make in this particular area is the security uh, scanning. In IBM, we take security extremely, you know, seriously and throughout our development process. And the way we used to do it is we used to do a lot of that validation at the end of our process. And we recognize that we would find just way too many problems, many of them sometimes it would be false positive problems, but they were still issues that we had to spend, you know, development and effort to go through and research and take action on. So that was, uh, so we have moved that dramatically forward and shifted that very much forward in our process. So now as a part of our build process, we do security scanning on all of the code, which provides, you know, immediate feedback to the developers if they're injecting any patterns that, um, you know, cause these types, 
you know, security issues. Then we also have built into our our um, delivery pipeline, you know, security scanning on the application in our production environment. And we still do our and, and we do penetration testing, which is a, you know, a human activity where they actually try to hack our systems and things like that. And that is still a little bit further at the end of the process than I would like it. But the part of that really is that that needs to be a human interaction and, you know, and, and things like that. But through those efforts with security um, scanning, we've really dramatically decreased the amount of problems that we find at the end of the cycle, which has been very beneficial for us. You mentioned earlier to me that you guys are using a lot of open source. When you're scanning for these for vulnerabilities, how are you guys handling open source? Well, it's it's integrated in into our process. So we have actually multiple different layers of um, of how we manage open source within IBM. So first of all, there is a whole governance process around what open source can actually be incorporated in our process. Our, excuse me, are in our products. And there um, are a whole list of approved open source components that we can use. And each one of those have gone through an in-depth process in order to be cleared to go onto that list. They've had legal review. They've had, um, you know, code scans, um, looking for all the copyright issues or in uncovering those and doing uh, detailed searches on those. And they've had security scanning that have been done on those components as a part of that. And in, before we are allowed to incorporate any open source uh, capabilities into our products, we have to first go to that list. If they're on that list, then we can incorporate them. If the, if this, the component that we want to use is not, then it has to go through that process. Then once we incorporate those capabilities, uh, you know, the open source components within our products, they then go through our normal testing process as a part of our products. And that includes everything I just mentioned, whether it be, you know, they have to be rebuilt. You know, many times we will extend open source components within our products. So they just become a part of our normal development process. And they're then a part of our what we call our certificate of original uh, certificate of originality at the end of our process, which means that, you know, we validated the integrity of all the code that we have in our product and things such as that. So it's a, uh, it, it's a pretty well understood process in IBM. Now we've trained our developers pretty well and our processes are home to treat it much like we treat our own code um, with those extra governance um, items that I mentioned. Is there any, automation in that open source process? How are you verifying that developers are or are not using those components? Well, absolutely. You know, we have to, we, we keep track of everything that goes into our builds. We know whether or not they are the ones that, that are validated and come from those, you know, those approved lists. So there's, there's a ton of automation in terms of validating that. We know anytime any packages change within our, our builds and can, you know, validate that we you know, have not introduced something new. And then there's a ton of automation, as you might imagine, in the whole area of the scanning of the products and all that. You know, that's been developed over, you know, all the years that we've, you know, incorporated open source. We've been doing this in IBM for quite a long time. So we've refined the process a lot and and, do, and actually introduced a ton of automation that did not used to be there. How are you monitoring open source when it's already inside of your application? Meaning, how would you know that you would have a specific component of a vulnerability was announced to the marketplace? So we have a whole process around how we govern the use of open source 
in IBM, anytime someone picks up and uses an open source component, that is tracked as a part of this governance process. Mm-hmm. So when something like you know a security vulnerability comes into play in any of these components, we know through a, a centralized group and software group, as well as at each one of the product levels, exactly who has that component within their product. And we have a whole detailed process around how we track our response to that. We have very strict guidelines about how quickly we have to be able to respond to any of those types of vulnerabilities proven, you know, uh, that, you know, that it works. And we've been executing on this process and continuously improving it over many, many years. There is a whole group within Software Group that is a deep expert on this process. And I think, you know, perhaps a, a conversation with them would be good you know, give a broader exposure to to how we address this, because I really believe that IBM's approach to this is world class. How has the remote workforce affected your change at IBM? You guys got a lot of remote workers? My team is a a global team, as is many of our developers, uh, excuse me, or many of our client teams are. My, uh, I think the last count, I have 11 sites and seven time zones. And a lot of that is, is because we have, you know, many different IBM locations and we bring together the best people with the right skills to, to make, um, you know, our projects happen. Some of that comes through the fact that we have um, done acquisitions and those teams, you know, have locations that we work with. And then, you know, some of this is that we continue to expand our IBM presence into other, you know, geographies. As we started to develop our tool set in Rational around, um, you know, um, solving these types of problems, which we call our jazz products, this whole issue about around global development was sort of at the heart of 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 a problem that we wanted to solve. Um, You know, we recognized that collaboration, um, you know, worldwide collaboration on these types of projects was going to be essential to the future. Collaboration and, you know, a single version of the truth, one way to communicate regardless of your location is absolutely fundamental to how we work. Actually, over the years that we've been doing this global development, we've actually learned a lot about it. I think when we first started, you know, we were sort of a little naive in the fact that we might be able to take, you know, one particular feature team and have it span multiple different locations. And, you know, and it didn't really matter if someone sat in Shanghai or, you know, or Raleigh or California and tried to work together. I think we've learned over time that we needed to improve that. And we needed to try our best to co-locate teams with certain responsibilities to be most efficient. That doesn't mean that every team is co-located because we we definitely found that was not possible either. What we needed to do was to sort of build some subject matter experts and sites and teams that had certain core capabilities and maybe if there was a particular complex work item or user story, you know, we would try to co-locate that team or we would co-locate, let's say, maybe the UI development for that versus, you know, maybe the, the server development might be in another location so that we could get high fidelity interactions between, you know, the developers and the testers and things that needed that. You know, so that was sort of a lesson that we learned and, and we've been uh, making lots of um, shifts in my team, you know, over the last 18 months or so to optim- around, uh, optimize around some of those lessons learned. Another thing that we've uh, learned is that it's not a good idea to have one person in a location doing something. So 
we've made some shifts and responsibilities and team assignments to try to create larger centers of uh, excellence around certain capabilities. And that is, you know, provided a lot, just a lot more community as well. One of the things we have found is that global teams working together actually have benefits once you get the rhythm going in the right way. And what I mean by that is that there's many of my teams that span the West Coast to East Coast of the U.S., to Europe, as well as to Asia. And, you know, we now have sort of this this, you know, follow the sun approach where if we find, pro- you know, if we find a problem, a defect, then, you know, and we um, submit a change, colleagues in Asia can start the testing early on and get us feedback on the quality of that by, by the time someone comes in on the East Coast and then the West Coast guys pick it up. So we've actually used it now um, as we've gotten better at it to our advantage. One of the things that I learned from you, and this was eye-opening for me, was that there really is no such thing as a monolithic DevOps movement in an enterprise, a large enterprise, that it's incremental changes that grow on top of each other. Absolutely. You know, and as I as I look back at our journey, you know, it's even more clear to me that, you know, there's no way that I could have known, you know, in 2008 what I would have been facing you know, in 2010 or 2012 or 14, you know, as, as my slide sort of lays out the value that we got. The key thing that I've learned throughout all my different multiple opportunities to go through this type of transformation is that it has to be about learning and about continuous improvement. I think you, you have to set business objectives and you have to set goals of where you want to be or you don't know where you're going, but you aren't going to know exactly how to get there until you get started and you learn about what your individual team's biggest pain points are. And that's basically what we did is that at the end of each one of our sprints, you know, we look at, you know, what are, you know, what did we learn? We do retrospectives and say what was working, what was not working, and what are our next biggest hurdles that we need to overcome to continue to improve. The, those friction points or hurdles change at the end of each one of your sprints. And as you can continue to get better, you know, what are your biggest pain points are shift through the process and depicted in our, you know, sort of transition slide and in our improvement slide, you can see how, you know, it went from build, you know, to our testing, um, you know, to our deployment times. And those were the things that, you know, became the biggest showstoppers, you know, as we moved and were able to get faster, faster and faster. The other thing I would say that's really important for people to understand about this is that you do get value along the way. It doesn't mean that you get only value at the end of that journey. The cool thing about it is that as you are focusing on this whole model of continuous improvement and learning is that you get value along the way and you gain more momentum, you know, and you're able to, you know, show improvements and build team morale and spirit along the way. And that is, is, is absolutely essential to making this sustainable and successful over time. With the, the huge improvements you've made in the last years, what do you see you doing over the next five years? Have you got a future vision? Well, we just have to keep doing what we're doing. I mean, by no means are we perfect. We, um, may, you know, sort of my major um, continued focus areas for us are in the areas of automation, continuing to get more automation in the right places and smarter automation that will continue to improve our quality and continue to allow us to move faster. 
We also have quite a bit of, of ongoing focus still in the areas of our build um, and also into the automation of our infrastructure. Because one of the things that's for sure is our business environment is not standing still. You know, three months is really not fast enough. You know, we need to be able to, to deliver now as we are moving more towards a SaaS model. We need to be able to deliver everyday capability. So we have to continue to focus on what we can do to get better and better and faster and faster and more efficient and smarter and more automated. Because, you know, the bar doesn't stand still. The bar continues to rise and, um, and we have to be prepared and ready to, um, to get ahead of that as much as possible and certainly, you know, make sure that we can respond as, as quickly as possible. I have to say, in all honesty, you're you're very exciting. It's you you get you have this vision, and you've actually shown what can be done, and it really has re-energized me as far as the way I'm perceiving DevOps. The big ones for me that I walk away with when you speak are incremental changes and alignment with business objectives. And when I came back after after talking with you, I was so excited to tell everybody else about it. I have to say sincerely, thank you. It's, it's a wonderful message. Well, thank you. And, you know, it's, it's been exciting to us as a team in IBM to be able to achieve these uh, objectives and to get that type of alignment. And, and it's so exciting that, you know, we're, we're actually rolling this out across, you know, the larger IBM business and, you know, and, and getting a lot of momentum and excitement around it. So, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you a little about our experiences. And, you know, I'd love to keep the conversation going, um, you know, as we continue to push the limits of what we can achieve with this. Thank you so much. I know you're busy. I very much appreciate your time. Okay. And I thank you, Mark, for the opportunity. Great talking to you. Take care. You have been listening to OWASP 24-7 with your host, Mark Miller. OWASP 24-7 is sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from Sonatype, a trusted partner for open source governance, management, and compliance. 